The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com So what we're going to do today is we're going to spend some time in probably one of the most beloved verses in all of the scripture when it talks about love is the oh so popular God so loves. So if you got your Bibles, let's go to John 3.16. John 3.16. While you're turning there, one author wrote this. To love at all is to be venerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. You want to get away from love? See, love, well, let's just be honest. Love is a deep subject, right? Love is a wide subject. It is not changed even today. It continues to inspire, to motivate, and to hurt. It continues to reveal and conceal a lot about us, a lot about who we are, a lot about the, the people that we want to be. It continues to evade and get played as we continue to look for it in all the wrong places. It's masked. Love is misunderstood. We hear much about love and have always heard much about love, and it's, well, confusing, and it continues to confuse. And in a lot of ways, even today in our culture, love is hellish. People are trying to get away from it. But then at the same time, promote it during this holiday season. You know, it's like, hey, it's the Christmas season. Come on, guys, let's show some love on the streets of Denver. You know, and it's, it's just absolutely, absolutely amazing. Uh, we were at a store, and this one individual opened up the door for me, and I walked in, and, or, and he was holding, he let his family in, and then he just stood there, you know, and he was holding it in, and he was like, I, and I, so I come walking in, I was like, thank you a lot, and I said, and Merry Christmas, and he was like, wow, he goes, that's the first nice thing I think anybody has said to me all week. And it was just, it just kind of startled me a little bit. It was just like, oh, well, I was glad I could do that. But then I walked away. I was just like, wow. Like, it is the Christmas season. It is supposed to be about, you know, uh, well, it's supposed to be about Christ. But then what we're actually hearing is that it's supposed to be about love, family, and kindness. We're not even getting that. So if we're not even getting what the world is trying to say Christmas is about, then what is Christmas going to become? That worst time of year, you know, where it's just like, oh, Christmas is coming. 
oh, I gotta get presents, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta wrap this, I gotta get out Christmas cards, I gotta get my family together to take a picture. How many moms remember those days where you had to get your family to take a picture with the kids? It was just like herding cats, man. You know? And then you got the, you got the, you got the baby, right? The baby sitting on the lap. And then the camera person, right? The, you know, he's got the, got that little thing. That, hey, blah, 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 blah. Right? And he's making so much effort to get the baby to cry. And then one of your older kids is like. You know, and then that older kid is about ready to get whooped by mom. It's just like, look, we're trying to get the baby to smile. We don't need to be taking a picture when the baby smiles and you're looking over there. Well, you know, it's just that, that whole time. It's just like, you, you just like it, it's somebody says it's Christmas, Thanksgiving. And so you know what's after Thanksgiving? It's Christmas. And it's just like all these things flash into our minds. And it's just, we get instantaneously exhausted. And it's just like, wow, how am I supposed to be loving during this time? But then we start to think like, what exactly is love? You know, because love is just one of those topics that's just become so distorted. And, and we know that love is one of those things that lingers around the chambers of the human heart. So we have our artists. We got our, 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 the people that are in touch with the aesthetics of life giving us their idea of what love is. So they teach us about love in our culture. What do I mean by that? The elites of our culture make their claim. Elites like Michael Bolton, who sings, I said I loved you, but I lied. Then Lionel Richie and Diana Ross come back and they said, love is endless. Oh, but then Stevie Wonder comes out and says, I just called to say, I love you. Elvis says that he just can't help falling in love with you. But then Bruno Mars comes and says, he loves you just the way you are. Then Dolly Parton comes and sings, I will always love you. But then Roxette comes and says, it must have been love, but it's over now. On the one hand, Percy Sledge sings, when a man loves a woman... But then Billy Ocean sings, get out of my dreams and get into my car. John Lennon sings, all you need is love. But then Trent Reznor sings, love is just not enough. Then the Bee Gees come out and they say, how deep is your love? But Whitney Houston wants us to bring her to a higher love. Air Supply tells us that we are lost in love and we don't know much. But then Shania Twain comes and proudly sings, you are still the one I love. The Eagles sing, love will keep us alive. Then Joan Jett says that she hates herself for loving you. Barbara Streisand says love is ageless and evergreen. Yet Karen Carpenter says goodbye to love. Jackie Brown says, your love keeps lifting me higher. But then Bon Jovi comes in and says, you give love a bad name. Foreigner has declared for years, I want to know 
what love is. Then Death Leopard comes and sings, Love Bites. And the J. Giles band sings, Love Stinks. <laughs> so what is it? What is it about love that causes all these people to have their opinions? For books to be written, songs to be written about love. Love is just one of those topics that's just out there. And there's so much interpretation, so many ways to understand it, that the question remains, what is love? And so in our culture, it seems that love has lost a step or two. This is the greatest of all things, the Bible says. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And when the love of God is declared in society today, it results in a number of different reactions and responses. Like Pilate asked Christ, what is truth? Today the world is asking, what is love? What is the legacy that we are leaving today when it comes to love? Are we leaving the world a legacy of distorted love? Or as one artist will put it, tainted love? Children are dealing with mistreatment from their parents who tell them that they love them every day. A young woman that I remember counseling once is being told that she's loved while she's being molested by a family member. So much so that when I was talking with her about love and I told her that God loves you and God wants you to love him, God is just saying, hey, we need to love our God. Do you know what she told me? She was just like, so, so Pastor Shane, what does that mean? Does that mean that I need to have sex with God? Because the, her mind was distorted in thinking that she was taught her whole life that love meant molestation. A wife is told by her husband that she is loved by him while he inflicts horrible acts of indifference. In the church, we're supposed to love, but we see some of the most unbenevolent acts performed by people who are worshiping Christ. And I thought it was supposed to be sacrificial. It's supposed to be reciprocal, and it's supposed to be unconditional. But how can we deal with this topic of love that carries so much that influences so much, and we're supposed to apply this principle in a narcissistic culture. And you notice that everybody seems narcissistic these days. Seems like love just can't happen without a little bit of distortion. Little bit of distortion. But here's the issue, is distorted love really love but this holiday season we look deeper on hope peace and joy and now we're going to look a little deeper on love the greatest of all so let's take a look john chapter 3 verse 16 for this is how god loved the world he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our god stands forever let's pray Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that it'll be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. 
So today, the first thing we're going to look at is the wonderful characteristics of the love of God that he displayed for the world. Second, we're going to look at the good news that comes from this gift, the life and life more abundant that we find in the giving sacrifice and resurrection of his son, Jesus. So our thesis statement today is this, though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to have distorted and disillusioned views on the concept of love, especially the love of God, it is the truth of the infallible word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see the wonderful, intense, and great unconditional love of God in the gift of his son and all he has done. So point number one, God is love. So what we see in John 3.16, and I know John 3.16 can get tossed around and used for all kinds, of, all kinds of things, but one of the things that we see that's in, just in, inerrant, no, not inerrant, it, well, yeah, inerrant, <laughs> inherent, or just by, in essence, what you see in John 3.16 is he's talking about the intense uh, love, the intensity of the love, and he's also talking about the quality of the love. That's, what's, that, that's the point that we're seeing here. So God has made very clear in his word that he loves his creation and God loves his people. We don't have to see that in John 3.16. We see that all over, all over the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7, Exodus 34, 6 to 7, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. An entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, Hosea 11, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. So that's just a couple of, of pictures that we see or scriptures that we see that point out the incredible love that God has for his people. And so now an awesome and marvelous shift has taken place where God is not just showing us the love that he has for us by the acts that he, did, that he does, the things that he does for his people. He did something awesome, made a shift, and now God desires to show his love through the gift of his son, Jesus. It's a crying shame that this verse is popularly used to display, display a God of love with really no justice and a proof text to relieve unsuccessfully one side a popular theological dispute on soteriology or salvation. It, the point of the passage is to illustrate the intensity and the greatness of the unconditional love of the living God that he has for the world. So a lot of times the scripture is used like God is love. And so, you know, God so loved the world and he proved that he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Therefore, live, act, do whatever it is that you want. It doesn't matter how sinful it is. God is love and there's not going to be any consequences for you. It's a popular way that the passage is used today. You know, to point out the love of God in, in such a way where it's just, oh, well, it's unconditional. 
You know, so go ahead, live your life, do whatever it is that you want to do. You know, Shane, stop being mean. Stop pointing out the flaws in people. God loves them because God is love, so therefore nothing bad is going to happen to them. And the point of the passage is to illustrate the intensity and the greatness of the unconditional love of God. First of all, we should see that this is as intense. He's giving us a picture of the intensity. Hustos egapetsen. God so loved the world. That's the point of that. That's why you see God so loved the world. And sometimes I feel like it's like God, we, we, we quote it, right? It's like, hey, let's quote John 3.16. Yeah, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? But what, what we're supposed to be doing in this sense is we're supposed to be God so loved the world. How much did God love the world? He loved the world so much. So much so and in such a way that he was willing to give his son. You see? That's the intensity of his love. That's what's being pointed out here. This is how much God loves. It, de- it displays um, not just the quality of love, but the intensity of it. I love telling this story because it's just, it's just great. Um, so as you know, Janine and I, we, we train MMA. And when we first started, um, you know, we did the jujitsu, and then, you know, after that, we do our, our, our striking classes. So we do our striking, you know, and our kicking, our kickboxing and stuff. And so when Janine first started, you know, it was, it was like a somewhat of a game for me when I would, we would be drilling, and it would be time for the kicks, and, you know, if I'm kicking, you know, they teach you how to block kicks and all that stuff. But when it came to Janine's kicks, I never blocked I just, I would do my thing, I would let her punch, and then when she would kick, I would just lift my hands up, and I would let her kick me in the stomach. I would let her kick me in the ribs. I would let, whoosh, whoosh, and then we'd be drilling. Whoosh, whoosh, I'd be letting her kick me in the leg, and I just, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. and then one day, the coach goes, so you, let, you just kick your husband in the stomach like that? And she's just like, yeah, I was just kicking him, and you know, he lets you kick him. You know when he does that, and he lets you kick him in the stomach? That means he doesn't respect your kicks. And it was like at that moment, something fell off of Janine's eyes. And whatever was keeping the fangs in fell out of her mouth. And drool started to come out. And the shaking started. And it was like, okay, here we go. And then I made the mistake, I let her kick, but it was with a different intensity, and I thought I was going to pass out. (laughs) Intensity. She kicked me with intensity, and I had to ask her, okay, you got to dial back the intensity, babes. It's starting to hurt. Even when I'm blocking, it's starting to hurt. All of this to say... If Janine kicks you with the same intensity that God loves the world, she would kill you. Intensity, that's the point. It's it's with everything, all there, as as, as much as the living God can give. He is giving us this love with so much intensity. And the love that he shows the intensity of this love, it's at, you know, scale of one to 10, it's an 11. On this scale, How do we know that he kicked as hard as he can? It's because of the greatness of his love. He gave the best of his love and the greatness of his love, not just the intense love, but a love of great quality. 
Because what ended up starting to happen is Janine's technique started getting better. And not only was she kicking with more intensity, she was starting to kick correctly. So when she would give her kicks, she was moving her hips, swinging her shoulders, swinging the arm down, and it just, it, it just hurts now. The, the bottom line is, right now, at this moment, if Janine were to kick me in the stomach, I would die. With such intensity and, and kicking well, with such quality. He loved so much, and you know he gave you an 11 on the scale of one to 10. You know he did. And how do you know this? Because he gave his best. And what did he give? He gave his son. Now think about it, man. Think about that gift, what that gift means. He loves so much by giving his gift, not just any. His one and only son, the father gave his best, his unique, his one and only son, the best that could ever be given. In a way, God is giving to the world, his creation, his people, the best thing he has. And we all know the greatness of that gift. I mean, even on a smaller scale, we can see that, right? I mean, for many of us, are you kidding when it comes to giving up our children? It was like, hey, this is going to cost. going to give up, give up a child. I mean, we can't even see that. We can't even comprehend that. We can't understand that. Even when it comes to our own kids, right? I mean, seriously. What, what, would it, what would it be? What would have to happen if there was ever a time we had to give up our kid for something? And the living God is giving up his one and only son as a gift? When we think of our children. I mean, for many of us, our, our kids, that's, I mean, that's it. You know, I, I, I harass my children all the time, the three of them just sitting over there wide awake, eager, because it's Christmas Eve. Now, they're not like that anymore. They used to be. Now they prefer to sleep in, you know. I often joke with my children that my greatest possession in life is my, my Ace Freely Gibson guitar. But in reality, there's nothing in this world that's more precious to me than my children. And many of you would say that. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time, when, when, it's, when it comes to life, the, the best day of my life was when Scott was born. Best day of my life. The second best day of my life was when Sean was born. You got to throw that in, because I saw my girls are like, hey. <laughs> the third best day was when Shannon was born. Right? And then the next best day was when I married Janine. <laughs> you know, you always get stuck when you do this kind of stuff, right? Somebody's going to get left out. But when it comes to your children, it's different, right? It's different. It's, it's like, hey, you know, you burn my house down, you know, when it comes to like my, my Ace Freely guitar, you know, hey, take the guitar. I'm going to be really mad. I'm going to be really depressed for a while. You take my kid and I will hunt you down to the day I die. You know, it's different. It's a different motivation. It's a different thing that happens when it comes to that. So how much does God love us? 
You, you better believe that, you know, that my, my love for you is intense and it is at the best that it can be if I'm giving up my kid for you. That's essentially what we're seeing here. But it's not just giving up your kid for giving it up. Dr. Kostenberger, he writes this, surely to see his son die in such a cruel fashion would break any father's heart, much more so than, out of a heavenly, than, than that of our heavenly father. In similar Old Testament passage, Abraham was asked to give up his one-of-a-kind son, Isaac. Unlike Jesus, however, Isaac was not offered up, but spared when God provided a substitute. So here's the other thing, too. God gave up his son knowing what was going to happen. So it's not like, hey, I'm going to give up my son, and then, you know, you're just going to have him, and he's going to be your son. No, I'm giving up my son knowing that you're going to torture him and that you're going to kill him. Love. You want to know how intense God's love is for us? You know the quality of his love? It's because of what he gave. The greatness is shown in the intensity of the love. The intensity of the love of God is shown in Christ. Because it is the love of God, it is the perfect love that is eternal. So that's the other thing, too. There is no, you know, it must have been love, but it's over now. With our living God, it's never over. The love of God is great. It's intense. It's on the scale of 1 to 10 and 11. It's more than we can comprehend. We can't understand it completely. And it never ends. You can be assured that that love will never end. It will always be there forever. Trillions of years from now, it's still going to be there. Trillions of years from now, it's still going to be there. Um, John Piper, he writes this. Sometimes we joke and say about marriage, the honeymoon is over. Have you guys ever done that? Like, you know, me and Janine, we've been married, but the honeymoon's over. I haven't said that yet. We're still in our honeymoon. Sometimes. I feel like we're still in our honeymoon when I'm sleeping on the couch, but, but sometimes I wonder, right? But we joke and we say about our marriage, the honeymoon is over. John Piper says, but that is because we are finite. We can't sustain a honeymoon level intensity and affection. We can't foresee the irritations that come with long-term familiarity. This is for a lot of you young people that are going to be, going to be getting married that this kind of stuff is, is kind of familiar when it comes to making a covenant with somebody. And we can't stay as fit and as handsome as we were then. Is that true, babes? Don't answer. We can't come up with enough new things to keep the relationship that fresh. But God says his joy over his people is like a bridegroom over a bride He's talking about honeymoon intensity and honeymoon pleasures and honeymoon energy and excitement and enthusiasm and enjoyment. He is trying to get into our hearts. What, that, what he means when he, that's what he means when he says he rejoices over us with all of his heart. And to add to this, that with God, the honeymoon never ends. 
He is infinite in power and wisdom and creativity and love. And so he has no trouble sustaining a honeymoon level intensity. He can foresee all the future quirks of our personality and he has decided that he will keep what is good for us and change what isn't. He will always be as handsome as he ever was and will see to it that we get more and more beautiful forever and, as, and he infinitely is creative to think of new things to do together so that we will be no, of no boredom for the next trillion ages of all the millenniums. And the point ultimately is what he's saying is when it comes to our heavenly father, the honeymoon is never over. And, and, and that's, that's the thing that we've got to continue and we've got to remember is that even now, it's every day is just a new day with the Lord. If you really think about it, every day is a new day. There's always something new, always something that I learn. I mean, how many times for many of us, you've been Christians for a while and you've read through the Bible. You can't even count how many times you've read through the Bible now. And isn't it amazing that as many times as we read through the Bible, as many times as we studied the Bible, as many times as we've done that, we go back to a book that we've read a hundred times and something new always hits you. Isn't that amazing? That even God's word, that's as, as compact as it is, it's all right there. And you read it, you read it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and something new comes out every single time. How many times have we heard John 3.16? And some of y'all are thinking, could be even thinking now, yeah, I didn't realize that it was about the intensity of God's love. Wow, you learn something new every day. It's, it's just new, new experiences, new developments. And sometimes we can complain and just say, well, you know what, God, you don't do nothing for me anymore. No, all that means is that what God is doing for you right now, you don't like. <laughs> we don't like it. It's just like, yeah, okay, I got to admit, God is doing something. But what he's doing right now is not very fun. You know, I, I did the prayer like, hey, God, you know, God, teach me to be a humble person. And then we wonder why the next year of our lives it's been miserable. Are you humble now? Oh, yeah. It's always those dangerous prayers, right? God, help me to be a good Christian. I want to be the best Christian that ever walked the earth. Okay, here you go. Add some suffering here, some tribulation here. Why? Because the testing of our faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that we can be mature, complete, and not lacking in anything. Hey, you asked for it. Right? You asked for it. Christianity is not, it's not a pill that you take. I wish it was just good that we could just take a pill or... We could do like Captain America and just stand in one of those capsule, it closes, a bunch of steam, all this stuff happens, and then we pop out Captain America. That'd be awesome. Christianity is not like that, though. Christianity is development. It's time. It's like working out, you know? It's just like, hey, when it comes to working out, it takes effort. Hey, I would love it if I could just, there's a pill I could take. You know, hey, just make sure you take it with an eight-ounce glass of water. And then you're going to wake up the next morning looking like The Rock. Dwayne Johnson. No, you guys don't know. The, the guy in the magazine, the, com, the comic book. Like, you know, remember in the comic books, they used to have that. that the guy that got beat up on the beach. <laughs> remember? And then he took the pill, and then he was big. Yeah, yeah that, that stuff. 
I wish Christianity was like that, but it's not. We have to work out. Even if you take steroids and chemicals, you still got to work out. You still got to do it. You can't just take steroids and sit on the couch, you know, and watch, you know, some stuff on TV, you know, what binge watch something and then you just start developing muscles and all that. It doesn't happen. It takes time. It takes effort. Same thing with Christianity. You can't just take a pill. You got to go through the process of being made holy. The definition of the word sanctification. The process of being made holy. It's time. It's effort. It's overcoming. And we've got to overcome and we've got to have victory. Point number two. It's a gift that keeps on giving for eternity. It's not only that we are shown the great love of God and receive all the benefits of his grace and compassion, he also commands us to love him and to love one another. This is the reality of the law, the summary of the law. It is the great commandment. And what is the great commandment? What is the summary of the Ten Commandments? It's to love God and to love our neighbor. Right? Remember that. You heard that. Love God, love your neighbor. But here's the thing. A huge error, and you'll hear this, trust me, a lot of times when you hear people talk about this, a huge error comes out of this. A huge error in modern evangelicalism. Many will refer to Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments in God's great commandment is the understanding that, hey, you know what? There's over 800, 700 to 800 laws in the Old Testament. You know what? God made it easy for us. God made it simple. You want to be pleasing to God? You want to keep the law? Jesus made it super simple. He took all those hundreds of laws and he brought it down to two. All you got to do is love God and love your neighbor. And we walk away going, yeah, there's only two things we got to do. Live life. All we got to do is two things. Got to do those two things. Just love God and love our neighbor. But the reality of what scripture shows us is that this is not good news. And I hate to say it, family. I hate to say it because I know I get in trouble every time I do. So just give me a chance here. Love is not good news. See, this is what's amazing about it. It's like, if you think about it, loves, that's not in essence the gospel. Sure, love is the motivation for the gospel, but it's not in essence the gospel. Love, you see this in the great commandment. The 10 commandments, the law is summarized in two things. Number one, loving God and loving your neighbor. That's the summary of it. And the New Testament teaches us that the law is to, supposed to show us something. What's the purpose of the law? Was the law there to make us righteous? No, the law was there to show us that we can't keep the law. We can't be righteous on our own. That's why we needed a savior. That's why when the great commandment comes in, it's stark. So, <laughs> you know, I'm... I'm I'm, a, I'm again, I'm reading posts about uh, Amy Grant when she was hosting and she was sanctioning her niece's lesbian wedding. And, and when the critics came, she kept quoting, God wants us to love God and to love our neighbor. 
She just keeps saying that. Like, well, this, uh, the reason why we're doing this is because we're just trying to love our neighbor. I'm just trying to love our neighbor. She's trying to do this. And, 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 he, and, and she's not wrong when, when she says God wants us to love God and to love our neighbor. She's not wrong because that is what the Bible says, that we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love our neighbor. But quickly and clearly, we see that what she says and, 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 and what, what she's implying to not realize that the union that she's hosting is breaking the seventh commandment of the adultery category, which consists of the prohibition of unnatural relations that's mentioned in Romans 1. So how quickly we see it. When we think that we're loving our neighbor, what she's doing is she's applying the summary of the commandment and she's actually breaking a commandment while she's doing it. Which makes us conclude one thing that she was trying to be loving to her neighbor, but in all actuality, she wasn't. What she did is the worst thing she could have did for them. I've said it before and I say it again. I agree. The great commandment does make things easier. I will agree. It does make things easier. But it doesn't make it easier to keep. All it does is make it easier for us to realize that we don't keep it. I think sometimes we can get disillusioned and be like, yeah, I love God. So you don't see it maybe that much when it comes to loving God, right? I love God. But if there is one time you see people not loving their neighbor, it's during Christmas. Not loving our neighbor is the thing that's the fastest, man. It's the fastest. It comes out really quick. It comes out really fast to show us that we can't keep the law. We can't do it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. If you break even the smallest of commands, you are as guilty as one who's broken all of it. And the consequences of this is problematic because the wages of sin is death. We're, taking, we're talking eternal darkness, eternal fire, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But because of the great love of God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All of this is possible because of the gift that God had given and he showed us the intense love that he has for the world by giving us his son. And family, the promises continue that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The coming celebration of the coming of Christ, this is the time that we remember the beauty and hope that our King brings, the peace that our Savior brings, the joy that our Lord brings, and the love that the Father has. He is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. And if you believe this, you will have life in His name. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.